Open the Bible to James chapter 1. Ouch, yeah, I know. <laughs> Everybody make sure to wear your helmets from now on. We are starting a series in the book of James. And we'll be here for several months. That could go on for several years. We probably won't go that route, but you never know. Eric and I are very excited about it. James is a powerful book. Uh, turns out it's had a very special role in both of our lives. So it could be, who knows. Um, amazing that um, Tim talked about the role of Israel, the conversion of Israel, and because um, James is written to Jewish people who were exiled. They were some of the very first Jewish believers and they were exiled out of Jerusalem for being believers in Jesus. And uh, that's who James writes to. James was, in essence, their pastor or their bishop, writing to people who'd been thrown out of the city they lived in and scattered across the known world at that time. Could spend a lot of time introducing James. What I'm going to do is just jump in, and when there's important background information on the way through, we'll tie it in, rather than start with long explanations on that. Today, James is going to show us the first lesson that is how to make pearls. How to make pearls? Well, let's learn from James. Now, how is a pearl made, first of all? Well, here's what happens. And I've checked to make sure this is fully accurate. Um, a pearl begins as a problem for an oyster. Something gets under its shell. A grain of sand, a parasite, a speck of dirt. And have you ever had a tiny speck of dirt in your eye? Okay. Because I've been, I've been down for a day because I had almost an in, it was almost invisible to the naked eye, but this tiny speck. And it's like, <sighs> so imagine how a clam feels with that. An oyster. Well, there are some clams that do also. There are a few different mollusks. They don't all make pearls, but, but we're mainly oysters. And what they do when something gets under the shell is they secrete a milky substance around that. It's the substance that its shell is made of. They, they shoot it around the irritation many, many layers. One author writes, mollusks make pearls as a protection against irritants that sneak into their soft tissue. They do so by exuding layer upon layer of shell material the animal is putting a rind around an intruder. I want to suggest to you that when the trials of life get under your shell, okay, we might say under our skin, we need to make some pearls. I mean, we can have, we have one of two choices just as an oyster does, infection or pearls. All right, you're saying you want pearls. So that means when James tells us how to make pearls, we're going to do what? We're going to make pearls. But it's a little tough sell at first. So we want to look at what James says about how to get at under those irritants and make pearls, something beautiful. Because God wants to take our lives and he wants to build the character of Christ into us. Beautiful jewels, pearls. First part of pearl making is to consider it all joy. Now let me read the first four verses of James for you. James. 
a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Those are twelve tribes. It's the Jews who were his congregation who got scattered among the nations. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. There it is. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There it is. Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. The very dignified Kent Hughes, former pastor of Wheaton College Church in Wheaton, Illinois, stepped out of character and said, when I read that, I go, what weird advice from Pastor Wacko. You said that? Because it's so contrary, isn't it, to what we think when we say, consider it pure joy, all joy, completeness of joy, when we face trials of many kinds. Um, I guess this is speaking to our core motivation for life. You know the song we sang, now, and it had a line, now I live to bring him praise. We just sang that. What was that? It was all, all, but, all for Jesus? Only Jesus, okay. Hmm? Yeah, I, I miss, forget the title. None but Jesus, thank you. I live to give him praise. If that's true, we get this. If it's not true, there won't be any chance for us to really get this. Because it's what are we living for? If I'm living for my own self and my own life and for this life alone, I will not be able to consider it all joy when I face trials. I had a brother you who was um, an amazing man of God and he I remember he had his next surgery was on 9-11-2001 I was at his house that morning and when I came home I to back to the church office I found out about about what happened in New York and Washington and that but um, what it was amazing is he had serious issues with his spine and um, and it took a long time for to get detected what was actually going on and most people just chalked it up to stress and said, in your neck. He finally found out that he actually had a very real physical problem and that was not stress-induced. Um, and, and, and he was rejoicing that morning with me. Because he said, you know, now I don't agree with his assessment here, but follow me on this. He said, Bob, I'm so thankful I've got this issue in my neck. years of recovery. And you've got to understand this is such serious stuff. And he said, um, I thought it was stress-related. I thought I was losing my faith. Now, I don't think that stress-related things mean you're losing your faith, but that's how he understood it. Okay, let me be clear. I don't, I don't take it that way. But he was so devoted to Christ, he said, if there's something that's in the God, I'd rather have a dreadfully painful neck injury that will cause me years of heartache and sorrow and pain than even to think that my faith is weak and my stress is so bad that I can't trust Now again, I don't agree that you can't have stress-related stuff. You can have massive faith and struggle with stress and all those. Please understand. But in his world, that was an incredible indication of how much he loved the Lord how devoted he was, he lived to bring him praise. And uh, very, very powerful stuff. 
James was pastoring a congregation, by the way, because a lot of people read this go, James, how dare you say I should count it all joy when troubles come upon me. You don't know my life. And James says, no, I don't, but I know my life. And I know the life of my congregation. You know how the Apostle Paul was collecting for the church in Jerusalem? It says that in a couple of his letters. He talks about how he was collecting money because they were so impoverished and such outcasts and so struggling so deeply and so ostracized from society that he asked all the Gentile churches around the Mediterranean to help the Jerusalem church. That was James' church. They were in deep poverty, deeply ostracized, deeply disconnected from their society, from the temple. That's a big deal to a Jew that lives in Jerusalem. In fact, that's not just a big deal. That's about the whole deal. But because of Jesus, they were outcast and poor. And so James understands trials of many kinds. Now, I want you to notice when he says, whenever you face trials, when you face trials of many kinds, he doesn't say... If, in if by chance a couple of you might face a trial or two, he says, listen, you're going to face trials. You can't pray them away. You can't obey them away. You can't faith them away. This world brings trials. Many kinds. Just when you think you're good because you finally have a new job after the trial of not having one, a new trial jumps out in your family, right? And then you think, okay, well, we're going to get past this. And then a trial jumps out at you. A storm knocks a tree onto your car. And then your best friend moves away. And then you find out you're sick with something you didn't know. Trials of many kinds. And the word face trials of many kinds. It's a word that has the idea of, bam, you run into it. It's used in other Greek places of being mugged, robbed. Have you ever felt like you were mugged by a trial? Beat up, confronted, threatened. Okay. James says, when you're mugged by a trial, count it all joy. I mean, that's how it feels, doesn't it? To get that phone call, you're mugged. To hear the doctor give that diagnosis, you've been jumped. To be robbed by the loss of a job, you're getting robbed. Now, there's a little diagram on your outline, considering trials. Consider it all joy. Notice the far right column, you're considering it joy. That's the pearls. But notice the infection. When you have a trial and you chalk it up under the blame column, blame someone else, you've got an infection in your soul. You consider it self-pity, bitterness, or revenge. You could add fear. You could add a whole bunch of things. Those are spiritual heart infections. James is going to talk a lot about heart infections. I love how James does it. He goes, for the, he goes right for the heart of the matter over and over again. He starts right out saying, because you know, because your greatest goal is the testing of your faith. Listen, when you have these trials, they test your faith. Because you know. What, trials are testing our faith. Circle those three words, because you know. Because it says, here's why. I'm telling you to count it all joy. Consider it joy. Give it consideration and ledger those trials as joy rather than self-pity or bitterness or any of those other things because you know something. And what you know is that, first of all, those trials are the testing 
of your faith. The testing of your faith. If your chief life goal in life is to serve the Lord, it's great to know. It's great to find out what I really trust. It's great to see that I say, you know, before I went through this, I was really very self-centered. It was kind of like, what's in it for me was my faith. God has burned off some of that dross now, right? Before, I didn't trust God. I was always jumping in, taking over. I, was, I finally faced something I could not take over. And some of the dross of control and self-will gets burned off. My faith is tested. And James says it's a joyous thing kind of realize and have the revelation. If you, want, if, if you live to please him. Now I live to bring him praise. If you're like my friend Ricky who, who would rather suffer dreadfully than think that he didn't trust the Lord. Which is an amazing thing. It's kind of like this. Because you know that God's working and he later says that, that they develop perseverance, stick to it, and it's the ability to keep going in the face of obstacles. And, and he says that it, it will make you mature and complete, lacking nothing. And that's what I want, to be mature and complete in my faith. To have all that God wants for my life. To be, all that, to, to be covered in pearls instead of infection and sores. Right? Because you know, I'm drawn back to Ephesians chapter 2. If you know me, you know the whole world goes back to Ephesians. It's just kind of how it is. Or James, it's kind of funny. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. It tells us we're saved in verses 8 and 9. By grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so anyone should boast. 4 verse 10, we are his what? workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works that we might walk in them. The word workmanship, we are his workmanship. The word is poema. Some have noted that that is indeed the word where we get poem. I mean, you can tell just by hearing it. But the point is we're his work of art. Some people translate it masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. Because you know in James 1-2, rejoice when you face trials because you know that it's testing and training your faith, building, building character of Christ and, and covering you in pearls instead of sores. Because you know it's making you beautiful for Jesus, you are his masterpiece, like Ephesians 2.10. And if you believe that, then when he says, consider it all joy when you face these, all these trials, it, it will be very hard to do, but you'll say yes. If that's not your goal, if you just really want to live your life however you want it, and if you want to do whatever you want to do, then that's not going to make any sense. How could we, it it has to mean we believe we are his workmanship. And it must finish its work, because we are God's workmanship. Allow perseverance to finish its work. 
In other words, don't bail. You have you facing trouble? Don't bail. What God is doing, the, the very things that sometimes we want to get out of our lives, sometimes the things we want to pray out of our lives are the things God's using to cover us in pearl. Think about it. You don't grow in Christ by running away from trials. You don't grow away, grow in Christ, you don't grow pearls by hiding from troubles and not facing them. You don't grow in love if you run away from hard-to-love people. Ouch. You don't grow in courage if you run away and don't face scary challenges. You don't go in trust if you compromise your faith to avoid pain. And we could go on and on and on. You gotta stick with it. Don't bail. Some, some, some folks spend their lives running from trials. Some people go to 25 different churches because they're always running from an obnoxious person. I'm sure we've got them here, and I'm sure you will meet them there. And if you don't meet them here or there, guess what? You're them. You're the obnoxious person. You're the trial. Maybe it's a little of both. Listen, I get it. I understand why we run or hide from trouble. If you've ever been tempted to run far away from your troubles, I might have been driving the bus. If you've ever tried to hide from your troubles in the garage, you found, probably found me camped out there. It's easy to just play ostrich. But then we miss the pearl. So the first pearl-making action is to consider it all joy when the Lord is at work on us. We are his artwork, his masterpiece. Don't forget that. Perseverance is finishing its work. It is that work of God, his masterpiece. He is shaping, he is molding, he is producing in us. But we have to have the quality of perseverance to stay under God's artisanship. Number two, let's say that you can't. Oh, I hear what you're saying. Consider it all joy, because I know that God has a plan. He wants to be my life. He wants to make me mature and complete. He wants me to have stick to and courage. And I can't, get, I can't seem to let that perspective rule my life. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. I remember hearing Howard Hendricks speak. He used to be a professor. He was a great teacher. And um, I remember him saying, starting off a message, he stood up and looked at us. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. It is. Verse 5. If any of you lacked wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. 
When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. My motivation is not there, Lord. My heart and mind are not, in verse 2, counting it all joy when I face trials. Then go to God and ask him to change your heart and your mind and your motivation. Because it's impossible to be there on your own anyway. Right? First of all, turn to God in prayer. Ask God to change me. Because I, 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 I just, this is so hard for me, Lord. I, I keep wanting to run. I rejoice, count it all joy in trials. And ask for what's called wisdom here in James. We might call it to embrace God's wisdom for life, which is to consider that the highest purpose of my life is to live to bring him praise. Can't, if this sounds like I just don't need, I, I, it's so hard. James says I'm ahead of you in this one. Ask God to change your heart, to give you the wisdom. This speaks, by the way, to how much we need God. Look at Philippians, chapter 2 on your outline. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue, now you listen to these trials, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Is working out your salvation easy? Not work for your salvation, work it out because it's in you, okay? You already have it, work it out. It's with fear and trembling. That sounds like trial, that sounds like struggle, that sounds like ouch. I know what we're, I was trying to think, what's the title for the book of James? Mike Matthijs just did it for me. Ouch, <laughs> week one, ouch, week two, ouch, week three. Thank you. But look at the next verse. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God works in us to will, to want his, and to act to fulfill his purpose. In other words, because I know that God is working in me and building pearl and growing pearls and covering me in his jewels, because I know that, that's the same concept, is it not? Because you know. It's God who wills and to will, who who is working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure instead of our own self. How do you understand James 1, 2? Well, you need the work of God in you. You never know what God's going to do. We've already seen that today, huh? He'll change a heart. He'll change a life. He'll help me get a handle on what my purpose in life is. Holy Spirit, after all, is called, Jesus called him what? The comforter or helper? Yeah. So if you need help, where do you go? Ask God for the help, the helper too. And the Father will 
how much more will our Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask him. Yeah. He says you need to ask him. Okay. Now, secondly, learn the language of lament. What is this about? And what does this have to do with James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8? I think a lot. This speaks to being real. There might not be another passage of Scripture where we fake it as much as James chapter 1. Consider it full joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Too often what we learn to do is what? Fake it. Praise the Lord for what I'm going through. And it's so dishonest. But I don't want you all to know that I'm disobeying James 1-2. So I'm going to put on my triumphalistic face and shout hallelujah. Now, there's nothing wrong with shouting hallelujah. In fact, I am so thankful our hallelujah rose back, I cannot tell you. I want them there every week, and I want them as loud and as, I, as they can be. <laughs> so that do not assume that someone who, who is loud, all I'm saying is this, sometimes we really do fake it. And I remember talking with a, with a family pastor in a previous church, and we said, you know, so much of the Christian life is we've learned, instead of learning what sanctification is really all about, we've learned to just look good. Especially if you're a pastor, you learn how to fake it. Make sure that, you, that nobody thinks anything less of you. How does that square, though, with Confess your sins and repent. And... So it's about lamenting. Now, how do I consider it all joy? Well, what, if I, what if I'm miserable? What if I'm not able to consider it all joy? I'm struggling. I'm under the weight of this terrible trial. God gives us a way in. We find it in the Psalms, for example. We've talked about this before, I know. Lament is when we go to God in a state of heart where we're saying, Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I, what are you doing? One of, the, one of those phrases in the book of Psalms is, how long, oh Lord, how long are you going to let me stay this way? It's complaining to God. And if you look at um, Psalm 13, First thing is we turn to the Lord. There it is. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? He's saying you're forgetting me, Lord. Imagine, but that's, we want to talk honestly to God. How long will you hide your face from me? Lord, where in the world are you? It's like, you know, coming home like, where have you been? Lord, where have you been? Pretty bold. Express your complaint. How long, Lord, will you forget me for, oh, wait, wait, somehow that got Turn to the Lord. Okay, it's first is how long, Lord? He turns to God. Then he says, you know, how long will you forget? This is my complaint. You're, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So he complains. Then seek his help. He says, look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Seek his help. Answer me, Lord. Give light to my eyes. Trust the Lord, then. He comes back to trust. Here's the wisdom of God. 
but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. There, now, this is a prayer where this, the psalmist is in deep trouble. He talks to God about it and comes out the other end, considering it all joy when he faces various trials. But it wasn't like he just got zapped magically. He was honest with God. He was real with God. So James 1-2 does not require us to be phony. It requires us to practice the discipline, the process that God gave us in his word to pray to him and be transformed, to process all of our emotions and all of our states of mind in prayer so that we come out the other end considering it all joy when we face various trials. Ask God, turn to him, and he will give us wisdom. And it looks to me like in, ver in verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 13, the psalmist got wisdom. Romans 8, 35 and 37. It's a little different format, but it's in Romans. There's a question that needs God's wisdom. Notice verse 35. This is the Apostle Paul, and he says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Because they're facing trials and difficulty. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Do they separate us from Christ's love? Do they mean Christ doesn't love us anymore? Okay. Here's the first proposed answer. And it's, it's one of the lament psalms he quotes. As it is written, we... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's the first answer. Has God put us out as sheep to be slaughtered? He says, rather, here's God's wisdom. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. Who is that? That is Jesus. More than conquerors to him who loved us and died for us and rose and reigns at the right hand of God for us. So you can see again, it's the process of talking to God, turning to him for wisdom, turning to him in prayer and learning to use the language he gives us to talk to him honestly and receive the wisdom that comes out the other end of an honest prayer life. But not faking James 1-2. Can you tell that I'm very intent on saying we do not fake James 1-2? Because if you fake it, do you grow? No. Sometimes I wonder, I wish God, I wish the times that I was faking it, which have been many, that God would give me a voice from heaven and say, by the way, who are you? It's what you want for me to not know you, right? Because you're faking it. That hinders us. We've got to be real. Got to be real. And then God will give us the wisdom. He will give us the insight. He will allow us to consider and say, now I see the picture God has for my life. I am his workmanship, and I can rejoice. I hate what's going on. I don't want it to continue. But I get that God's doing something. He wants me to wear pearls instead of sores. And then embrace the wisdom of God. There's a third thing. Verse 6 says, When he asks, he must believe. Tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Here's what this is about. It's, am I ready to receive God's wisdom? Am I ready to receive what he tells me? When I go to him, am I going to him honestly with my trials? And when he's redirecting and rebuilding my 
my heart am I following? And if he tells me either the way out of a trial, which it's okay, it's okay to want your circumstances to change, and sometimes God even gives us the ability to make changes, but sometimes not. going to God and you just want to do what you want to do in your own way, then don't expect direction from God. Right? Again, it's that core motivation. Alright, so that, that's the bulk of what we want to talk about today. Now, we're going to quickly talk about three other things that lead down to verse 12. The next, the first pearl maker is consider it all joy when you face various trials. The second is I can't get there. I don't know what to do. Ask God for wisdom. Turn to him in prayer. Practice prayer as a lament, as an honest, heartfelt cry to God to, to receive him, his wisdom out the other end. Be ready to really receive. I mean, remember a couple weeks ago I said this is the posture? This is the posture we must be in before God and before the Spirit like this. Am I there? Or am I double-minded? Sometimes we're raising our hand, we're really going. Where are we going? Remember, be real. <laughs> but then we glory in Christ. Here's the pearl maker. Believers in humble circumstances, verse 9, ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. Where the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, this is the trial that they were facing. They were exiles, remember. They were being persecuted by rich people, and they were poor, and they were marginalized. The people in power were taking advantage of them. Okay. Um, so this is actually addressing the very trial they were facing. Here's the question. The poor should glory in their high position, the rich should glory in their low position. In other words, don't look to worldly circumstances for your identity, and for your definition, and for your purpose, and for who you are. Your identity is in Christ. You are a child of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are, and that is your identity, and that is your destiny, and that is your security. And it's what James is telling them. Yes, these trials. Because you know that God has this purpose to cover you in pearls. So what you need to do is you need to receive that identity. Even though you're poor. Even though you're ostracized from society. In God's eyes, you are royalty. To those who receive Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. easy for us to say those words without much reflection, but give it a little reflection and you go, wow! <laughs> That's me. Heirs with Christ. Oh! 
glory in Christ, not in, I mean, so, so you say, I'm not glorying in my worldly position anyway, so I can, re, I can count it all joy when I face these things, because that's not what carries me. That's not what defines me. That's not what motivates me anyway. And then support one another. This is very simple. I'm just going to let you know that there's a parallel passage about trials, and um, it's in James chapter 5. And in the midst of saying be patient in the midst of trials, using the word for per- perseverance that's used here, James says in verse 5 to, the, to those who were being persecuted by the wealthy and powerful, he tells them to be patient before, until the coming of the Lord. Then he says, James 5, 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So I, I want to make this known. You know, when, when we're struggling, when we're facing trials, this is why it's so important we need to be here for one another, not judging one another, not grumbling against one another. Here's where we need to be pumping one another up. Here's where we need to be encouraging one another. And James will spend a lot of time talking about our speech and the tongue and, and how we relate to one another. And his whole point is, brothers and sisters, support one another through these times when you're facing trials. It's a pearl maker. You can help someone else grow pearls by encouraging them to persevere, walk with the Lord, continue to paint the picture of what God wants to do in their lives. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, do it all with, but in the same passage it talks about being on fire for Christ and building into one another and building one another. The last part is live for the eternal reward, verse 12. Blessed is the man, now you're going to hear this, it's going to sound a lot like the first part of James. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If I'm living for this life alone, and the applause of the world alone, guess what? None of this even matters. I've just stood up here and rambled. Maybe you feel that way anyway. But it's true if you're saying, I just want to have a nice house and I just want to get a better job and I just want to make more money and I just want people to think I'm really hot and I want people to think I'm really great. <laughs> um, this doesn't work. But we persevere under trial because when, and by the way, who stood the test and it talks about the testing of our faith. Who's on trial? Is God on trial? Too often we prance around like, okay, God, I'm going to give you a chance to show yourself to me. Do I need to comment on that? Who's, on, who's being tested? Okay. Now we all know God's patience is so amazing and his love is, is so great. He puts up with it from us and from the world. But the reality is, let's be real, folks, about who's being tested. Again, this is about being real. And when we get, tr- and many people are asking God, why does, why do these things happen? And and I understand that. Again, we need to be in there talking to God honestly about it. That's the point. As it happens, so that we're not building up resentment and starting to let ourselves go astray. 
And then he says, blessed are the man who perseveres. Pure joy, verse 2. Who perseveres, you will be blessed if you persevere. Well, there it is. He talked about perseverance coming from considering it all joy. And notice, um, to those who love him, it's said by many about the book of James that James doesn't talk about love and he doesn't talk about faith and he did, it's just like come in. I don't know what book they're reading James goes for the heart James does so much heart surgery that the title of the book of James according to Mike is ouch indeed because did you feel any ouch in this I hope so or else everyone's asleep D.A. Carson is one of the top New Testament scholars in the world, and he tells a story about when he was in undergraduate school. He says, you know, we were undergrads, we were young, we were dumb, we were, and we had um, on our campus a speaker who pre preached from James 1-2, consider it all joy when you face diverse trials. They decided to do something. The students on campus all covenanted that whenever somebody complained, about their circumstances, they would quote this to them. Uh, brother, consider it all joy when you face diverse trials. Sister, remember, count it all joy when you face diverse trials. And he says, he admitted, he said, we were young, we got very insensitive. Some of the times we did it, we were wrong. We didn't rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep in the mix. We just, we were very cold about it. But he said, you know something? Over the course of several years, God used that to so purify the campus, to so purify and focus the hearts of the student body, we had a massive revival breakout. Many, many were saved because despite all the imperfections of the way they did, and anything we touch will have many imperfections, amen? Jesus works through imperfections. <laughs> he said it, it transformed the campus led to massive salvations and transformed lives. With the sensitivity factor in place, brothers and sisters, let's follow that example. Let's choose pearls instead of affection. Let's not let trials lead us to bitterness and anger and hatred and revenge. Love him, complete, not lacking anything in our Christian world. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Remember those? I've heard of those somewhere before. What do you say? Take up James 1, 2. Because you know that the path to being God wants you to be, to being pearl-covered means rejoicing and choosing joy, even when it's the last thing I'm oriented toward doing and want to do. But if I truly live to give him praise, that's where I will end up in the process of turning to him, of rejoicing in who I am in Christ, and of seeking eternity in heaven's praise rather than the praise of Father, your 
vision for us, Father, never ceases to amaze me. You want joy for us. <laughs> we want to be grumbling and bitter, but you want joy. <laughs> and yet we sometimes say that you're unloving. It's funny. If it weren't so sad. And you want peace for us. And you want qualities that are so amazing even in the midst of terrible hardship and they are terrible hardships Father I pray you'll give us the courage first of all to look hard at the things we face and look hard at our core motivations what do we live for and help us to turn to you and begin to process what we feel and process those hard times and come out the other end with your wisdom Helper, Holy Spirit, Comforter, the one who comforts us in our difficulties. We pray that you will move and pour out on us so that we will have the capacity to process hurt and trials from the perspective that James gives us, that we can become all that our Heavenly Father has designed us to be. We thank you for the good news that was shared here today. We thank you for the rejoicing that we've been able to do. Now we rejoice in the opportunity to take a very bold and difficult step toward you by considering our hardships a reason to know you are working on us, your masterpieces. And let us all rejoice in the reality that we are your workmanship, that you consider us masterpieces of your art, that you consider us your greatest priority, making us beautiful, covering us with pearls. And Lord, help us to cooperate in that great art project so that we will be a transformed people and we will see revival in us and revival around us.